Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the People's Medicine Show. I'm Sean, the host. I'm an herbalist. I like to teach others about basic herbalism. And this show is designed to explore basic herbal medicine and also explore lots of new ideas, unproven things, all kinds of big ideas that I'm encountering 
throughout the month. So I do this show every month on the first Thursday of the month. Uh, the feed is on blogtalkradio.com backslash Susan Weed. And you can find my shows that I've done previously on that feed. But I like this to be sort of a current events show, what's going on, what I'm learning. And I usually begin the show on spotlighting herbal medicine, but I wanted to just bring out something that I um, found very important. I often um, have been um, complaining for the past few years, sort of like on my social media feeds and things, um, that, oh, March is so... It, it, it comes in like a lion and leaves like a lamb. And I'll, I'll always say that, oh, it comes in like a lion. And it really does. And this month was a really interesting because I didn't really think about the in like a lion thing. And it was, it just felt very emotionally tumultuous. And I love that word tumultuous. I looked it up and let's see if I can find it. <laughs> Here it is. So definition one for tumultuous, making a loud, confused noise, uproarious. And then uh, definition two, excited, confused, or disorderly. <laughs> and I was hit with a really powerful piece of, I guess you would call it story medicine. I often think of it as uh, picture medicine or metaphor medicine. Like I, uh, a couple years ago, I... Um, I spoke with Susan Weed on her show about how anger expressed itself as a picture to me as like a herd of buffalo. And for the past month, I've identified a feeling that I feel often. And I don't know where this feeling comes from, and it doesn't seem to have any correlation to any other things. But it's a feeling of feeling rushed, where I don't want to stop. Doing this show is great because it it forces me to take pauses and to um, go real slow and to expand my aloha because I want to be able to communicate everything that I want to communicate on this show. So this feeling of rust was haunting me. I was like, where is this? And what is the, what is the twin feeling of feeling rust? Does feeling rust have another twin feeling, a feeling maybe of there's a lot of time, you know? <laughs> so I believe there's probably uh, moments when we should feel rushed and we should um, um, perhaps step it up and put some hustle in our step. And then there's other times where we have to feel that opposite feeling of let's feel there's no rush. We're in infinite time and space. We can, um, we can sit still and al allow the divine, the inner God within us to um, really tell us and um, show us or um, just comfort us and hold us. But that feeling of rush comes up on me. I almost got into a car wreck about three or four weeks ago. I worked on a Saturday and I normally don't work on a Saturday. I'm stuck behind some tourists that are going really slow and there's a line of cars behind the tourists who won't pass them. So I tried to... <laughs> past this line of cars and it was it 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 gave me a near-death experience it gave oncoming traffic a near-death experience and then yesterday someone on the same road did the same thing and i sort of like was able to forgive them immediately i pulled over and let you know let traffic go by and um 
but those feelings of rust could kill us. And, um, you know, I felt like, yeah, I need to really um, be on guard about feeling rust. And I, I think it, it, I think I was socialized that way. I'm a New Yorker and I'm, I've been rewarded and honored for having hustle, for being able to get it done, to stick with it, to stay, you know, and really work, work at things and to sort of put on, put on a show, put on an external appearance. Oh, he, he knows how to work. But I'm finding, um, so this picture that came in, that's really, really showing me what's going on is it was a picture of a playground swing and that is my emotional life and the first thing that came to me is oh i'm pumping i am pumping and then i started looking at like what are the what are the ways that i can pump you know i could rush myself and allow myself to feel rushed and not feel that there's not enough time to to get it done um that's one way of making my swing um pump then I uh, wrote down, oh, yeah, so there's external chemicals that I, I like to ingest, uh, caffeine on a daily basis, nicotine in the form of vapor. <laughs> These are things that are putting some pump in my swing. Even cannabis uh, used daily too much could really be a very stimulating, stimulating um, thing. So I've been really careful for... Um, you know, most of my adult life when it comes to stimulating things because it, it just gets too much and um, makes me really feel frazzled and fried. So those are the ways. Um, then there's other, like, other ways that we make ourselves feel like we're, we're pumping the swing. I wrote some of these down, like overworking, overworrying, uh, fussing over trivial things, uh, looking looking for reasons to be offended. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just throwing out these um, emotional things that we uh, play, you know, overworking, over-worrying. And um, so it isn't about, like, not doing anything. We have to keep our swing going to, um, I don't know, I'm... I'm a pretty curious person. I am always exploring new things, listening to these new podcasts. So if you want to um, interact with the show, it is a call-in show. So we're on the first Thursday of every month at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can tune into the live feed by telephone or online. And um, the guest call-in number is 646-929-2463. And you can just listen to the show by phone while it's going on live, or you can call in, press one, and jump into whatever I'm talking about, or start brand new topics that you want to put out on this radio show. So this picture of the swing really is showing me that, yeah, I want to swing, and then there's times of the day when I want to really go into my prayer closet, I don't know what you'd call it, um, the quiet place, and have get my swing really slow to a point where it's dangling like a pendulum. So this is my playground swing, and everyone's done that. You know, they pump, 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 pumped, 
and then they just keep swinging, swinging, swinging until it goes down to a like a slight pendulum effect. So that is the picture medicine, uh, story medicine, vision medicine that I've been employing lately to be calm and to not uh, swing too high and then um, say, oh, oh, I'm in emotional turmoil. <laughs> What's going on? These emotions are so much. So I have some clips from the Joe Rogan show where they were talking about, you know, the different kinds of feelings. And it, it was a great uh, show. It was a debate on cannabis. And it was in the past month. We're in March 2019. So this occurred in February. I'm trying to see. Um, I'll bring it up on my feed to see um, the title of the show that I'm going to play this clip from. But there were two people, and one person was very anti-pleasure, anti-self-medicating about cannabis, and the other person was like, well, if people want guidance, they should have a way to use cannabis without it being um, a challenge to them. And I was thinking about it before the show, that I've been smoking cannabis on and off for like 40 years, and I probably have eaten cannabis less than 100 times. So. Eating cannabis to a point where not taking a half a dropper of CBD oil, that's not really what I'm talking about when I say eating cannabis. I'm saying um, making butter and making a dish and feeling the cannabis come into me. Last month, it was wild because I did this show and I, I made six pierogies and I fried them in cannabis oil. And I did this a couple hours two, three, four hours before the show. And during the show, while I was doing the show, I was really in, I was having an edible cannabis trip. And I often will overdo it. And so I'm still in the learning phase, but I really have no plans to eat cannabis more than two or three times a year. So it seems to be the pattern. And that is sort of the pattern with plants, that plants just, you get in the mood to eat them, Sometimes once a week, sometimes twice a week, sometimes twice a year. So I really love the way these nourishing herbal infusions have entered my life because I've just stuck with it. At first, I, I bought two bags of herbs that were professionally dried, and uh, I bought stinging nettle, and I bought a bag of oat straw, and I would just go back and forth each day and make one in a quart jar, so it's like the skill to make a, an herbal infusion is just a slightly a little bit more than making a pot of coffee. You, you want to get a, a scale that measures accurately and weigh one ounce and do that every day. That's what I've done. I've gone maybe three or four weeks once in the past eight years since I started drinking these. And yeah, I think that was the longest period. but. It's not like um, these medicines that people take every day where if they miss a day or if they miss a week, their life gets thrown, thrown upside down. I think these nourishing herbal infusions are sort of a residual thing. So the longer you're drinking them, uh, the more benefits you'll, you'll feel and more sensitivities that you'll get toward using other herbal medicines, perhaps um, some of the herbal medicines that I'll talk about today for that have antidepressing antidepressing pro properties. So I don't know um, 
where to go, I think I'll start talking about some of the herbs that I've been uh, excited about lately. And they're the antidepressant herbs. And two of them I am familiar with, and one of them one of them I'm not. So I'm going to read. Um, so the first herb that I want to discuss is St. John's wort, Hypericum perforatum. I was introduced to this uh, when I was living in upstate New York, and it grows wild there. It um, blooms in usually the month of June, and sometimes depending on how far up toward Canada you are, it goes all the way into August where you can um, uh, harvest the flowering tops of Hypericum perforatum. Uh, The way I was taught to make uh, St. John's wort, St. John's wort tincture is just you clip the tops and you put them in a jar and you pack it into the jar to not, you want to pack it, but not pack it tight. You want it to sort of be like a pillow and fill it, fill a jar, any jar up, um, right to the top, and then you'll cover it with 100 proof vodka. And 100 proof vodka is 50% ethanol and 50% water. And from what I know about making herbal tinctures for the past, uh, I think the first time I made St. John's Horn tincture was in 2013. And I was on a wildcrafting trip with uh, the Northeast uh, School of Botanical Medicine, and we were way up in the Adirondacks, and it was it was in August. And um, so that is my experience with St. John's Ward. And since then, I think I've maybe gone out two more times. So like every two years, I go out and get a new batch. And it usually takes a whole year before I'll strain it. But it's usually good. And minimum of six weeks and I would think ideal you want to wait maybe six months because when you're using 50% water you're also getting a water extraction when you're doing a tincture so the alcohol portion could probably be you know you're not going to get any more benefit after four or six weeks of the alcohol constituents but the water constituents for these plants so that's something why perhaps you want to let your tincture sit for six months, 12 months, and compare. Make a tincture that you've strained in six weeks and make one that you've you've made in six months and make one that... So the, I'm really happy about letting St. John's Wort tincture for a whole year before I start using it. So that's where I've arrived. And what was fun was I moved way cross-country from the East Coast all the way to the farthest West Coast of this uh, United States. I did this last year, and I packed my tinctures, and I had a quart of St. John's Wort tincture that was going to last me a year and probably enough to share with others. And it broke in my move. So I was just really stingy for the past year with St. John's Wort. I was like, hmm, let's see how long I can keep it. So I would only use it really only in times when I had uh, muscle pain from overwork and when I uh, wanted to relieve uh, pain that, from overworking. So I used this in night, maybe two, three dropperfuls, you know, throughout a night when I was going to expect to be waking up in the morning feeling sore. So that is the main reason I have always will pull out St. John's Ward is when I feel sort of like physically sore from 
being overexerted. And um, but recently I um, was completely out, and I went ahead and I I said um, I don't know a few months ago that I was like, if I'm gonna ever buy any more tinctures, if I'm gonna purchase any, I don't want to use I don't want any eyedropper rubber taste. So I found a company that is selling uh, alcohol-based tinctures without an eyedropper. And the one I tried was um, Mountain Rose Herbs. And they sent me my St. John's Fort tincture about a month ago, and I started using it again. So I'll keep it sort of in my little belt bag with my rhodiola tincture and my echinacea. And so it's just my traveling herb that I keep with me. Another really useful thing about St. John's Ward is when you're traveling and you're going from place to place and you're jumping up and down and you're swinging really hard, uh, I find it very comforting. It seems to give me an extra resilience while I travel. It does have antiviral properties, and um, there's a lot of information uh, from very straight-up uh, scientific uh, sites that show that it's been compared with using Prozac and um, people that want to use Prozac daily as an antidepressant and people that use St. John's Wort daily as an antidepressant and it has very, very similar um, similar benefits uh, to people as a straight-up pharmaceutical antidepressant. So my idea of being an herbalist is I really don't want to um, tell people to stop taking medicines that they're happy taking and replace them with herbs, but I would welcome people to try to um, use herbs alongside medicines that they're using. So it's um, I have a Dr. Phil clip that I'm going to be playing a little bit later on, and he, he talks of that delicate place where people are, um, there are people that use medicines every day, and it's kind of harmful to tell them to stop taking their medicines because they're kind of useless without them. And he's a pretty smart guy. It's funny because I've always just seen clips of him on TV and thought he was a total douchebag and uh, simplistic and um, kind of a hard ass, you know, like, let's, get, let's move on from this problem. <laughs> it's a very simple problem, and we got, we got to just focus in on the solution, but... I was listening to his interview on a recent Joe Rogan show again, and I, I found him very refreshing. And I found, like, wow, I have a lot in common with Dr. Phil. So uh, I'm going to be playing some clips and doing some reading. And um, so we'll play, doc, we'll play Dr. Phil a little bit later. I'm going to move on to the second antidepressant, quote, herb. Uh, that I'd like to talk about. And this is an herb, um, it's a common food. I'm not familiar with it as a medicinal plant, a plant that has um, healing properties. I thought it was just a real tasty um, addition <laughs> to a lot of ethnic dishes that I, that I love, like yellow rice. And so the next antidepressant herb I want to talk about is saffron. And I was, um, this is brand new to me, so, you know, I'm reading this, and with an open mind. This came from um, an email list I'm on called Nootropics Expert. And I believe the website's nootropicsexpert.com backslash saffron. If you want to help 
If you want to read along with me, that's where it's located, nootropicsexpert.com backslash saffron. So this is on David Toman. I believe he's the author of this site, and he did a nice little write-up on saffron. And um, I'm going to go ahead and begin reading. Uh, saffron is used for depression, PMS symptoms, postpartum depression, memory, appetite suppression, energy and stamina in athletes, and preventing neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Saffron is the dried stigma of the crocus sativus plant native to the Middle East and is the world's most expensive culinary spice, largely due to the way it must be grown and harvested by hand. As a nootropic, let me just stop reading if anyone's not familiar. A nootropic is a, a plant that benefits um, your brain chemistry without causing any side effects or very minimal side effects. Um, that's my understanding of what a nootropic is. So as a nootropic, saffron has been used for thousands of years as an anxiolytic. <laughs> I can't say it. It means uh, anti-anxiety a sedative, and antidepressant. Today, saffron is used to help manage appetite for energy and stamina, anxiety, and is a very effective antidepressant. Recent studies show saffron as effective as some popular prescription antidepressants and can even help alleviate the sexual dysfunction caused by these drugs. I first became aware of saffron when researching this ingredient included in Performance Lab Vision, his product, quote. <laughs> I'm going to try not to um, editorialize too much, but, um, yeah, this, this person who wrote this is selling a product. <laughs> All right, I'm going to continue reading. And then noticed in the last year that it, will, that it was appearing on shelves as a standalone supplement in the brain health section of local vitamin and health food shops. Here we'll explore how saffron benefits your brain. Saffron helps anxiety and depression. Saffron extracts, crochin and saffronol, inhibit the uptake of dopamine and norepinephrine in the brain, which helps mood. Alzheimer's and dementia. Saffron inhibits the deposit of amyloid B, which is associated with the progression of Alzheimer's disease. Saffron also inhibits the breakdown of acetylcholine, Acetylcholesteneres, just like the current medication, donapezil, approved to treat Alzheimer's. A neuroprotectant, crochin and saffronol, which are unique carotenoids in saffron, make it, make it a potent antioxidant, scavenging free radicals, which reduces inflammation, preventing apoptosis, and protecting brain cells and mitochondria. So we'll, I'm going to go ahead and read along. So the overview, saffron crocus sativus as a nootropic is the dried crimson stigma of the C. sativus flower cultivated primarily in Iran. The earliest reference to saffron goes back to around 2300 BC from Sargon, founder of the Akkadian Empire. Sargon was born in a village on the shores of the Euphrates called Azaparano, city of Saffron. Since then, documentation of Saffron 
use over the last 4,000 years for at least 90 illnesses has been uncovered. Saffron takes a long time to germinate from seed and three years for the plant to flower. Once it blooms in mid-autumn, the flowers must be picked carefully by hand within one to two weeks. Each crocus sativus plant produces three to four flowers per season. Each flower produces a three-pronged style, each prong terminating in, in a vivid crimson stigma. Saffron is the dried stigma of crocus sativus. This labor-intensive production method makes saffron the most expensive culinary spice in the world. Saffron contains the metabolites, crochin, pyrocrochin, safranol, and the antioxidants, lycopene and zeanthin, as well as vitamin B12, all of which provide its medicinal value. As a nootropic, saffron may be used for depression, PMS symptoms, postpartum depression, memory, appetite suppression, and preventing neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. How does saffron work in the brain? Saffron boosts brain health and function in several ways, but two in particular stand out. One, saffron boosts mood. Recent studies suggest that brain DNF nerve growth factor, and CAMP, response-binding protein, CREB, all play a role in anxiety and depression. Further research shows that saffron has a key effect on BDNF, NFG, and CAMP levels in the brain, which likely explains why saffron is so effective in, in treating teenage anxiety and depression. One study in 2018 had 80 participants aged 12 to 16 years with anxiety and depression try saffron extract. And they give a brand name, Afron, A-F-F-R-O-N, trademark. 14 milligrams or a placebo for eight weeks. The study concluded that saffron extract was effective in relieving the symptoms of separation anxiety social phobia, and depression, compared to placebo. Researchers in the psychology department at Murdoch University in Perth conducted a systemic analysis of every clinical trial they could find for high-quality, randomized, double-blind studies using saffron, a placebo and antidepressant meds as controls in humans, not animals. The team concluded that clinical trials support the use of saffron for the treatment of mild to moderate depression. <clears throat> so number two of how saffron works in the brain. Saffron for preventing Alzheimer's. One of the most com common symptoms in Alzheimer's patients is depression. And, in, and doctors commonly prescribed antidepressants for treatment, including drugs like Zoloft, despite the fact that these meds don't work for Alzheimer's disease and come with a host of side effects. An alternative treatment is obviously needed, so researchers set up a double-blind placebo control trial with 46 Alzheimer's patients. The patients were given 15 milligrams of saffron twice daily or placebo for 16 weeks. 
The results of this trial showed saffron produced a significantly better reduction in behavioral and psychological symptoms than placebo and concluded saffron is both safe and effective in mild to moderate Alzheimer's. The acetylcholesterinase inhibitor Aricept is also prescribed to Alzheimer's patients for increasing acetylcholine, which has been found to be low in these patients. <clears throat> a 22-week randomized double-blind trial with 54 Alzheimer's patients was conducted to compare Aricept with saffron. <clears throat> patients received either 15 milligrams of saffron twice per day or 5 milligrams of Aricept twice per day for the extent of the trial. The phase two study found saffron extract was as effective as Aricept in the treatment of mild to moderate Alzheimer's, but saffron did not produce the side effect of vomiting. How things go bad. Depression is a growing health problem with over 10% of Americans taking prescription antidepressants of whom 90% experience at least one adverse side effect, ranging from sexual dysfunction to convulsion to bleeding disorders. Antidepressant use can result in one, abnormal bleeding, two, agitation, three, confusion, three, four, decreasing memory, delusional thinking, four, insomnia, lethargy, nightmares, and panic attacks, Five, or I'm going to stop numbering them, sedation, impaired driving, slow speech, sexual dysfunction, priapism, and panic attacks, paranoia, suicidal thoughts, violent behavior, serotonin symptom, and withdrawal symptoms. A growing database of studies and user reviews show that saffron helps treat depression without the risky side effects of prescription antidepressants. Saffron has also been shown to be effective with other conditions which antidepressants are prescribed, including anxiety, Alzheimer's, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. We, we even have reports of saffron reversing the sexual dysfunction caused by using prescription antidepressants. Third section of this article, saffron to the rescue. To experience saffron's nootropic value, you'll need to use more than a sprinkling of the spice from your local supermarket. Studies show saffron can be an alternative to some popular antidepressant meds and for anxiety. Another study with 18 to 45-year-old women suffering from postpartum depression showed saffron effective in reducing depression. And a group of women aged 18 to 45 dealing with premenstrual syndrome found that saffron was effective in relieving depression during two menstrual cycles, cycles three and four. Saffron is a smooth muscle relaxant and helps lower blood pressure, likely because of its inhibitory effect of histamine H1 receptors, stimulatory effect of B2 adrenoceptors, and antagonistic effect on muscarinic receptors. Saffron inhibits acetylcholesterinase, <laughs> which increases acetylcholine in your brain, improving brain signaling, and helping learning and memory. 
saffron inhibits the de deposition, deposition of amyloid B peptide fibrils, which has been implicated in Alzheimer's. Several human studies show saffron as effective as some popular antidepressants in treating mild to moderate anxiety and depression. Some of the symptoms of Parkinson's disease originate from underutilization of dopamine in the substantia nigra area of the brain. Studies show saffron helps protect the substantia nigra dopamine neurons associated with Parkinson's. Newly published studies show saffron helps protect your eyes from ultraviolet blue light radiation, UVB, and flicker sensitivity from glaring monitors and headlights. Saffron improves the oxygen and nutrient supply required for healthy eyes by boosting blood flow in the retina and choroid of your eyes. How does saffron feel? Many neuropackers report supplementing with saffron has helped them stop eating junk food, avoid nighttime snacking, and they're no longer obsessed with thinking about food all the time. Saffron has been proven to help with age-related macular degeneration. Vision may be sharper, and you can see a line or two further down the Snellen chart at your next eye appointment. Glare from headlights during nighttime driving and flicker from monitors is no longer a problem. You may experience an improvement in mood when supplementing with saffron, no longer overreacting, and work-related stress now feels like you are again in control. Many neurohackers report increase in energy and better libido with saffron. Feeling tired and emotionally, emotional is a thing of the past. You're back to your bright, positive, happy self. Clinical research into the end. Okay, this is the section on the research. Uh, clinical research into the efficacy of saffron is encouraging, but trial lengths have been typically been limited to four to six weeks, and sample sizes are small, 30 to 40 people. And keep in mind of the potential for bias because most clinical trials with humans have been conducted in Iran, which produces 90% of the saffron for the world market. But these are still high-quality studies. <laughs> A double-blind randomized control trial with 40 adult outpatients suffering from major depression was conducted at the University of Tehran. The study compared saffron petals with, with Prozac for the treatment of depression. <clears throat> Patients were given 15 milligrams of saffron petals in the morning and evening or 10 milligrams of Prozac morning and evening for eight weeks. The study concluded that saffron petals were as effective as Prozac in the treatment of mild to moderate depression. The remission rate was 25% in both groups with no significant differences in side effects. There is increasing evidence to, okay, saffron for Alzheimer's disease. There is increasing evidence to suggest that saffron can be used in the management of Alzheimer's disease. In one Iranian study, Iranian study, <laughs> 54 adults age 55 year or older with Alzheimer's participated in a 22-week double-blind trial. Patients were randomly assigned 30 milligrams per day of saffron, 15 milligrams twice per day, or 10 milligrams per day of Aricept, 
five milligrams twice per day. The study found that saffron was as effective as the drug Aricept in the treatment of mild to moderate Alzheimer's after 22 weeks. Other research shows that saffron may inhibit the aggregation of amyloid B in the human brain and may therefore be useful in Alzheimer's. 46 patients with Alzheimer's volunteered for a 16-week double-blind trial. Patients were randomly assigned 15 milligrams of saffron twice per day or a placebo for the 16-week study. After 16 weeks, saffron produced a significantly better outcome on cognitive function than placebo. The study concluded this double-blind placebo-controlled study suggests that it at least in the short term, saffron is both safe and effective in mild to moderate Alzheimer's. Next section, saffron for anxiety and depression. 60 adult patients with anxiety and depression were given a 50 milligram saffron capsule or placebo capsule twice daily for 12 weeks. Wow, that's quite a bit of saffron compared to the other studies. Depressioning and anxiety questionnaires were used at the beginning, six and 12 weeks during the trial. The patients who used the saffron supplements had significant reduction in anxiety and depression symptoms. The study concluded saffron appears to have a significant impact in the treatment of any anxiety and depression disorder. Side effects were rare. Recommended doses of saffron is 25 to 30 milligrams twice per day for mild to moderate depression. Clinical studies have evaluated doses ranging from 20 to 400 milligrams per day of saffron. Dosages of up to 1.5 grams per day of saffron are thought to be safe, with toxic effects reported for 5-gram doses. As with many nootropics, more is not better when using saffron. Some research shows that dosages above 1.5 grams of saffron can be extremely toxic. Side effects. Saffron is non-toxic and is well tolerated by most people when used at the recommended dosage. Some reported side effects of saffron include headaches, nausea, dizziness, vomiting, and mania, especially if you are bipolar. Saffron can aggravate asthma symptoms. Five grams of saffron are, are associated with toxic effects, and very high doses, 10 to 20 grams, can be deadly. No drug interactions have been reported, but interactions with anti-aggregating drugs are theoretically possible. Do not use saffron if you have a bleeding disorder. So, um, they go through the available forms of saffron, and um, saffron as a nootropic is typically sold in capsules. Most individual saffron supplements on the market are standardized for 0.3% saffronol, usually with 88.5 milligrams saffron extract. For nootropic use, look for supplements guaranteed to contain a patented version of saffron extract, Otherwise, you'll likely not experience the cognitive benefit of this nootropic for reasons I go into in a minute. And here are some of the brand names of the uh, saffron extracts that are currently on the market. Afron, manufactured by Farmactive Biotech Products in Madrid, 
Spain, not easily found in saffron products, sold in the USA, but here's one by BSN Health. Okay, I'm going to click that link in Sayuriel, uh, made by PLT Health Solutions in Marstown, New Jersey, and included in saffron products uh, like this one in Life Extension Optimized Saffron. Uh, Safranol, manufactured by Sigma Aldrich, and included in some saffron supplements like this one by One Body. Saffron 8825. So, saffron is also included in much smaller amounts in some Vision Eye formulas. While extremely effective for vision health, it's not enough for much cognitive benefit. For example, Performance Lab Vision contains one milligram of saffron extract which I found very effective for reducing glare from computer screens and headlights during nighttime driving, and for reducing eye fatigue from monitor flicker. But the dosage in this sup supplement is too low for any real cognitive benefit. Keep in mind that saffron is the most valuable medicinal food plant on the planet, which makes it a primary target by unscrupulous marketers for adulteration. Common adulterates include mixing saffron with things like beet, pomegranate, fibers, red-dyed red silk fibers to decrease the cost. Sometimes the flowers of other plants, including safflower, marigold, arnica, tinted grasses, are fraudulently mixed with genuine sa saffron sigmas. The common mislabeling of turmeric, curcumin, longa, as Indian saffron, American saffron, or Mexican saffron, can can easily be mistaken as genuine saffron. When saffron is used for therapeutic purposes, such as nootropic supplement, adulteration will make it completely useless or even harmful. Before you buy your saffron supplement, make sure you check that it's a reputable supplement manufacturer who tests all their raw ingredients and encapsulated product. This is a classic case of discounted or cheap saffron. It's not a bargain, but something else entirely, buyer beware. Okay, nootropics expert recommendation, 25 to 30 milligrams twice per day. And that is for brain enhancing properties. Um, I, it sounds like somebody, the Iranian study, so I'm gonna go ahead and editorialize and comment. Um, so this gentleman is selling saffron in um, his performance lab vision. All right, so I'm going to click all the links. This one says 120 capsules for $55 plus $5 shipping, so that's 50 cents a capsule. 120 capsules. This is uh, so let's see, and they're recommended. They're they're. Each capsule contains 45 milligrams, so it sounds like it's about a buck a day if you want to try saffron um, and in the standardized form. Here's optimized, and this one is um, the Life Extension, which has another, and their one vegetarian capsule contains 80, 88 milligrams of the extract. And uh, there are 60 capsules for about $20. So that's about 33 cents a day if you'd like to try this supplement. 
Uh, maybe twice a day. I'm not too sure how you would choose. It says amount per serving. Let's see. Uh, one capsule twice a day. So, yeah, so this would be not quite 33 cents a day. It would be $20 for a 30-day supply, so closer to 60 cents per day. Um, so this one is $50. Uh, yeah, this one's listed as $50. And how many capsules? <laughs> 60 capsules. So this article is wonderful if you want to um, try one of these um, saffron supplements and see if it's helpful to you. It may be something to try before uh, going to some pharmaceutical route to um, to get to get relief from chronic or major depression. I've always found in my own personal life to um, that. Uh, tablespoon of cod liver oil a couple of times a week or eating sardines like once a week, um, boost some omega-3 oils have been really helpful. Um, I've felt very, very depressed in the past and I found pretty quick relief when I um, put some omega-3 oil in my diet, either in straight up fish, cold water fish, or um, getting a supplement like mint flavored cod liver oil, which is pretty inexpensive. Um, probably like 20 cents a day if you'd like to. But I often will use it once or twice a week most if in supplement form and um, can of sardines once or twice a week. So uh, omega-3 is also another uh, very affordable supplement to try if you want to um, see if, you know, the foods in your diet can change your depression symptoms. Um so the third supplement I'd like to talk about is maca, and it seems to be a popular uh, supplement that people take every day, like 365 days a year. And um, I I use it maybe twice a month. I'll make a smoothie, and I mostly drink um, nourishing herbal infusions. But about twice a month, I'll make myself a fruit smoothie. I'm all out of frozen blueberries, but I have these really beautiful frozen strawberries that I've been making smoothies with, and I'll put like a half a cup of yogurt and a bunch of frozen strawberries and frozen bananas. I use Tropicana brand <laughs> orange juice. A lot of people use ice in their smoothies. I just use, you know, make them, make them thick and then water them down as I, um, uh, I'll water them down with ice as I put put some of the smoothie back in the refrigerator and then put some ice cubes in it and hand blend it. So I use a stick blender to make smoothies. I find it in one of those large measuring cups. It seems a lot easier than cleaning out the blender. Regular blenders seem to get stinky, but I, I have another blending device that I've been using a lot lately. It's a little mini chopper. So I I guess that would be a good a good thing too if you wanted to find a small blender that you know if you're conscious about not having large appliances. But my large uh, stick blender, I think it's made by Waring, and I paid about eighty or ninety bucks for it. It was like a Waring commercial stick blender, and I've been using that now for almost ten years. 
the same stick blender. So I've gotten um, a lot of good results from my stick blender, and I'll use like the quart canning jars sometimes as the, um, instead of the large measuring cup. But that's how I make my smoothies. But that's how I use maca. But um, I think I have a write-up on maca and um, on how it's used for um, reducing sexual side effects. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm looking at my tabs that I opened up. Okay. Let's, um, huh. Let's see if I could find the maca that thing that I, somebody was asking me about a brand of CBD and, um, the CBD that I use, someone just grows CBD plants in my area and they just make it, I think, at home in a crock pot with coconut oil and it's really yummy. And um, I don't really know any commercial brand of CBD that I would try, but um, I know Montel Williams makes his own CBD and he's um, he uses CBD to, I believe he suffers from Parkinson's disease and he um he has two kinds and it's the kind of that they add the terpenes which also have a medicinal property. So I wanted to put that out there. I think it's one's called Relax Montel by Select, and the other one's called Alert. So that is one of my open tabs. But I wanted to um, read a little bit about um, maca before I move on to the next section of the show. So I'm going to take a, a minute to find my maca reading, and I'll be right back. Okay, I actually had two different readings on maca, and um, I think it, one is from welltold.com, who sells maca. But they explain the difference between gelatinized maca and raw maca. Um, my experience with maca is I bought it when I was on vacation down in Peru, brought it home, and had really, you know, I thought it was wonderful. And then I purchased uh, raw maca when I got back to the United States, and it gave me really bad digestive <laughs> upset. So it, I would just try to find gelatinized maca if you're curious on trying some maca. And so welltold.com does have some information about people that want to use it every day, that you can keep it on a really low low amount where the way I use it is I put a couple teaspoons of it in my smoothie maybe once or twice a month. But I want to read an article from Psychology Today from April 20th, 2011, it's titled, Is Maca an Aphrodisiac? Maca may stimulate more than just the imagination. Maca, Lepidium mayonii, is a perennial ground cover plant that grows high in the Andes under very harsh conditions where few plants can survive. Ancient Andean shepherds ate the fleshy root, similar to ginger, as a vegetable and fed it to their livestock. They noticed that the herb improved their, their herd's health and appeared to increase their, their fertility, an observation confirmed centuries later by studies showing that maca boosts livestock sperm counts. Many plants thought to enhance fertility also gain reputations as sex stimulants, and that's what's, 
what happened to Maka. That belief was confined to South America until about 10 years ago when the herb began, began appearing in sexual enhancement supplements in the U.S. Does it work? The jury is still out, but recent studies have come up with tantalizing findings. Peruvian researchers gave adult men either a placebo or maca three grams a day. After eight weeks, maca had no effect on male sex hormones, but it improves sexual desire. Italian researchers gave either a placebo or maca 2,400 milligrams a day to 50 men complaining of mild erectile dysfunction. After 12 weeks, both groups reported significant benefits, but the maca group experienced greater improvement. British scientists surveyed eight bicycle racers regarding their sexual desire and then timed them on a 40-kilometer course. Their racers were given either a placebo or maca daily. After two weeks, the racers rode the course again and competed another sexual desire survey. Compared with the placebo group, the racers taking the herb clocked faster times and reported greater libido. Australian researchers took, took blood from 14 postmenopausal women and surveyed their menopausal symptoms and sexual functioning. Then the women were given either a placebo or maca, 3,500 uh, milligrams a day for six weeks, after which the groups were switched for another six weeks, a crossover study. After taking the herb, new blood samples were drawn. The group's before and after blood tests showed that maca had no impact on hormones involved in menopausal sexuality. But while taking the herb, the women reported fewer menopausal symptoms, anxiety and depression, and improved sexual function. At Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, scientists gave one of three treatment to 20 people suffering from sexual impairment caused by antidepressant medications. A placebo, low-dose maca, 1,500 milligrams per day, or high-dose maca, 3,000 milligrams per day. Compared with the placebo takers, both maca groups reported enhanced sexual desire. The high-dose group also improved, experienced improved sexual function. Finally, South Korean researchers reviewed these and other trials and concluded that maca shows some evidence of improving sexual function. Maca is not a magical aphrodisiac, but these studies all suggest that it modestly tweaks sexual desire and function. No doubt, herb marketers will blow these findings out of proportion and scientists will react by poo-pooing maca. But it appears that as far as sex is concerned, maca stimulates more than just the imagination. And have you tried maca? If so, have you noticed any sexual effects? So that was from the Psychology Today study. And um, so that was my three antidepressant herbs that I wanted to talk about today. St. John's wort, saffron, and maca, all potentially antidepressant. So um, call in and join the show if you'd like, if you have any a positive experience with these. So it sounds like I'm going to editorialize a little bit that um, many of these herbs, especially when you're using an extract, you could start at the lowest one. It seemed like there was a lot of benefit from taking just 15 milligrams of saffron. And I'm curious to see if that, you know, 
if that could be, you know, if it's, I think it's like $12 a gram um, or $30 a gram. So 15 milligrams would be quite a few doses. Let me see what um, the going rate for saffron is on um, Amazon.com. That if you just wanted to eat saffron as a food and, okay, so this is five grams for, 0.17 ounces for $20. Um, but again, this could be adulterated. <laughs> it's quite, so 15 milligrams, even if you did it twice a day, 30 milligrams, so that would be one, one third of a tenth of an ounce. So a 30 day supply would be like one gram. So. That would be an interesting way to try saffron. It sounds really cool as just like an everyday supplement to try and just add it to your diet somehow. Maybe make a saffron tea. And so I'm going to report on saffron maybe in the future, and we'll see. Um, I've never really considered, you know, using saffron daily. I've always thought of it as just a special occasion type of spice. So I am kind of impressed with uh, what I read about saffron and maca is just amazing um, for for myself. Like I said in the beginning of the show, I'm I'm trying to refrain from putting anything more that makes me swing even further. So I don't know if I want to add too many more antidepressant type foods and plants in my diet because I'm I'm on quite a bit of stimulants that I drink coffee every morning. And I use I nicotine, and uh, I love cannabis. So those things are very stimulating. So I gotta watch. I'm not really drawn to using many of the, these antidepressant stimulating things. Although St. John's Wort has never ever caused me any trouble by saying, "Oh, I'm using too much St. John's Wort. I'm 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 wired up. It just doesn't do that for me." like other stimulating things and um maca is just um <laughs> i don't know if, uh, men men can um report because i i find it it makes you completely juicy you know just using it once and that's my experience with maca that like i'm afraid and plus it's um I think the ethics of maca is really interesting because maybe if you're only using a really small amount every day it might only equal the two or four teaspoons that I use in a whole month. So who knows um, the ethics of using a plant that there's not enough maca for the entire world. It seems to be um, wealthy, developed countries can afford to uh, import and market the, the plant, which only grows in one area of the entire planet. I heard... Uh, several years ago that the Chinese love maca and they were like kind of raiding the world supply and they were causing price fluctuations where the price went up to like 40 or $50 and maybe they planted more maca in Peru because the price has since gone down since, or maybe people are realizing that um, they're trying to use this in a more ethical way and maybe just people around the world are, um, that people that love plants are generally um, conscious of things, that there's not a lot of maca, and maybe the message got out that there, 
and I'm sure the message did get out when the price went up to like forty dollars a pound. And um, for gelatinized maca, I think it was up to forty dollars a pound. Where the last time I bought it, uh, I mean, it was okay. Yeah, so it's still. I bought gelatinized maca. I bought four ounces, which is probably uh, 22 teaspoons, and it was eight dollars. So yeah, so it's about a dollar, a dollar a month for me to use maca. I, I bought four ounces for eight dollars. So um, it's funny when I. You know, I posted some pictures on the slideshow tonight of some of the brands of uh, herbs that I'm using, but I really can't. I'm not involved with these companies. I don't know how consistent their products are. You know, maybe you'll try one of those brands that I said I used and have no results. So I always tell people, you know, perhaps try two different brands if one brand doesn't work for you, or try it with a friend and see if they get results from something that you bought in the store because maybe it's just our individual preferences that we need more of something according to our chemistry which brings us back to the herbal infusions i think i've become way more sensitive toward everything that um i used to be able to drink like a whole pot of coffee like all day long and now if i drink two cups that is a lot of coffee i usually only drink one cup of coffee per day and i believe it's because of the nourishing herbal infusions have given me a real sensitivity toward anything um, stimulating where a little a little dab will do you, you know. But um, So I'm going to move along and play that first Joe Rogan clip that was from the um, cannabis uh, debate with the anti-pleasure person and the doctor from Canada. And the doctor from Canada brought up a really good uh, point about human feelings and how people are afraid of their feelings. And um, oftentimes, we, I, I just thought it was worthy to play because I'm always um, fooling around with, um, like, what are feelings and how, and how do we deal with them? And are we making our, our emotional life better or worse? Some feelings are unavoidable. And, um, you know, accept the things we cannot change. And a lot of feelings like anger are a strong message that something's wrong. And I'm really impressed on telling people to not be afraid of anger, to um, find out where anger comes from when you have anger. It can be very useful in getting your attention, getting other people's attention. So I um, think I have another person on the line. Does someone want to talk tonight? If not, you're welcome to just... Vi- I unmuted you. Sean. Someone on the line tonight? Sean. Sean. Can you hear me? Okay, I, I muted the call-in person. I was just wondering if, if someone wanted to uh, listen or participate in the conversation. I see a little tiny question mark, so I'm assuming that they want to talk on the air. So... Sean. Hopefully I, I I can hear you. Sean, can you hear me? Yeah, I got Sean, it. can you hear me? 
Hey, yeah, I hear you. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. It's Jeff. I'm good. It's Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Nice to hear you. This is my buddy, Jeff, one of my few friends that I've known for 25 years. How you been, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm listening to your show. I listened to it almost from the beginning tonight. Are you going to try some of the herbs? <laughs> um, it was it was good listening to you, and I was wondering what was that we uh, harvested in Saratoga? Oh, that was motherwort, and that's another that's another plant that I keep on hand, and um, I go through seasons where I'll use motherwort all the time, and then I won't. It's it's funny that um that then I go long periods where it's like no I don't need motherwort but it's another herb that really comforts me when I'm in like an emotional turmoil or feeling like anxious and overstimulated. Okay, um, yeah, I really enjoy your uh, take on the different um, herbs like or the saffron thing and the maca thing and. And um, you were talking about something else earlier than that, but uh, I forgot. Anyways, I just wanted to say, hey, I'm enjoying the show. I think you got something coming up on anger or something. And I just wanted to tell you that this is awesome. I really like it. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad you're listening to the show tonight, Jeff. And, um, yeah, I'm I'm planning to come back to um, Saratoga in June to get more St. John's Ward and more Mother Ward. And I, th- I actually, I think I have a whole year's supply of Mother Ward, so I'll be able to start my new batch of Mother Ward, which I'll probably let tincture for a whole year. So maybe you'll be maybe you'll be part of my wildcrafting trip again. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you called in though that I, one of my friends who who has who has um watched me wildcraft some of these herbs. Cool. Good night, Jeff. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go and, and continue with your show. I'll talk to you soon. All right, yeah. S- send me send me some uh, messages and I'll um I'll unmute you if you want to be unmuted again. All right. Okay. Thank you. So yeah, March in like a lion, out like a lamb that I was going through all these uh, really strong and I I think it would be called tumultuous. <laughs> but so the first clip I wanted to play from the Joe Rogan show was um, the debate he had with between the anti-pleasure and the cannabis doctor who works with it every day with people. And I believe he's based in Canada. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and play this one-minute clip because I, th- I thought it was important enough to clip uh, a couple weeks ago, so let's hear it. Because, you know, you could easily say that almost everyone has some type of mental illness. And, I mean, people should understand that, you know, there's seven different basic human emotions. You know, I've talked about this before. It's, there's, there's anger, there's contempt, uh, there's, there's disgust, there's fear, sadness, surprise, and happiness. That's seven. So, you know, depending on which way surprise goes, I mean, six out of those seven are, are, are negative, right? Because we're wired to basically detect threats. So, 
you know, um, when, when we're, we're making, you know, the, all these diagnoses, I think we have to be careful because, you know, some people are calling themselves depressed and some people are calling themselves anxious when really, you know, they're just not dealing with basic human emotions that they need to understand and, and need to deal with. Like people are getting angry about being angry or like depressed about being depressed. Like if you feel one of these emotions, just kind of sit with it and just kind of reflect on it. And I think, you know, that, that's a much, much better way to kind of, kind of tease, uh, to tease things out. But, you know, to come back to, to my original point, I think that, you know, more people are, are understanding that, um, you know, we don't just need to give out a pill for everything and that, you know, everyone shouldn't just be labeled as having a mental health diagnosis because if things just keep, you know, going the way they are, you know, what, what's by, by 2040, it's going to be like 50% of people are going to have like a mental health disorder. Okay, so that was the clip, the first Joe Rogan clip I wanted to play that um, they're just calling everybody mentally ill, where I think it is the human condition that they're kind of like overdiagnosing mental illness in our culture, where everybody has difficult periods where they completely lose their shit. And um, sometimes they lose the ability to work and they have, you know, in many other cultures, they don't look at it as... Um, a permanent illness that you have to take medication for the rest of your life. They'll treat it more of like a temporary thing that you're going through. And um, so I think it it um, comes into uh, Joe Rogan's next guest. And this is going to be a long clip, so I'm going to be able to take a break from talking for a little bit longer. And this is um, Dr. Phil. Uh, I think he, he was on the following week. So... Um, I'm going to play like an eight, eight and a half minute clip from Dr. Phil now. What do you, when you're talking to someone that maybe has depression, do you try to get them to exercise first? Do you try <clears throat> to get them to visit a psychiatrist immediately and get on medication? Like, do you take it on a case by case basis? Well, I do, but you, you have to approach it. Everybody has a philosophy about it. And I'm not saying that mine's any better than anybody else's, but. I do have a philosophy about it, and I'm very slow to medication. I mean, I, I Good think for you. I think you use medication for biochemical replacement. I mean, if for some reason your body is not making enough of something it needs, then maybe you support it short term biochemically. But you know, I <clears throat> I, I look at depression. I, I, there's a lot of ways you can break it up, but I look at it like, is it exogenous depression or endogenous depression? I mean, is it coming from the inside out or the outside in? Is it because you're reacting to something? I see a lot of depressed people that, in a sense, it makes sense. Right. I mean, you look at their life and you say, well, if you're not down about this, you should be. I mean, you've lost your job. You've gotten a divorce. Your health is in the shitter. You're... I mean, you should be down about this. It's external things. So you don't need a pill. I mean, put somebody in a chemical straitjacket because their life's falling apart? What the hell's that going to do? Yeah. That's just putting goggles on them where they can't see it. I would much rather get them to behave their way to success and say, what are you reacting to that you're depressed about? Let's put that on a to-do list and start, like you said, write it down and start crossing those things off. Let's figure what's an action plan to change this, action plan to change the next thing. Action plan. And then when you start doing that, 
then you generally see their mood lift. A lot of people that are depressed are just realistically reacting to a crummy circumstance in their life. It's not necessarily a a mental illness. It's just a re- realistic reaction to a bad spot in their life. Yeah, that's such a way, good way of putting it, too, that <clears throat> if you weren't in a bad state looking at this, there might be something wrong with you. Yeah, you're in denial. If, yeah. I mean, if, if if you've gotten a divorce, lost your job, your health's in bad shape, your kids are alienated from you, and you're saying, I'm fine, then you're not in touch with reality. I right. mean, you should be bothered by that. And and I think to give somebody a pill to mask your feelings about that just keeps you off task. I don't, you know, pain's a good motivator. Um, you know, I, I grew up in like Texas and Oklahoma, <clears throat> and I don't know if you've ever done this, but we were, I used to spend my summers in the thriving metropolis of Mundy, Texas. You ever heard of Mundy, Texas? <laughs> no. It's M-U-N. It's a U, not an O. M-U-N-D-A-Y. It's got like 2,000 people in it. But in the summers, it would get hot in Mundy, Texas. Now, when I say hot, I mean, you look out in the backyard and your dog burst into flames. That's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so we would be going to the swimming pool or something barefooted, and you get halfway across an asphalt road, and you look down, and you're, I mean, like, holy shit. I mean, your feet are just on fire. So what are you going to do? I mean, that is painful. You're going to do one of two things. You're either going to make a U-turn and get your ass back over to the side of the road and get in the grass, or you're going to run to the other side and get off the road and get in the grass. But you're not going to stand there in the middle of the road and melt yourself down to the knees. Pain is a motivator. Pain is not necessarily always bad. If you're in pain, it's going to motivate you to move, to change something, and to mash that with drugs, to dull that pain with drugs, is not necessarily a good thing. That is wise, wise advice. And I'm, I wish more people <clears throat> thought that way, particularly more doctors. You know, I have so many friends that have gone to a doctor because they're not feeling so good, and they're almost immediately wanting to throw them on something. Yeah, that's when, not smart. In all the years that you've been doing this, have you noticed, like, was depression as prevalent, like the the term depression? or was, it, it doesn't, I mean... I don't really remember it being a thing when I was a kid that was discussed the way it's discussed now. Now it's discussed the way people discuss all sorts of other ailments. Is it just an awareness thing, or is it just people are thinking about it now in different terms? Well, I think it's part of the narrative now, and I think with social media, um, with the Internet, not just social media, but with the Internet, I think there's just a lot more. It's a lot more in the nomenclature. and there's a lot more awareness about it. Um, but I think it was just as prevalent in the 50s and 60s as it was now. But in the 50s and 60s, there wasn't a psychologist on every corner. Right. And there is now. Yeah. And there wasn't subdoctoral licensing then. I mean, you. you what does that mean? Well, back then, the, you had to have a PhD or an MD as a psychiatrist to see patients. Now they have marriage and family therapists, they have licensed social workers, they have different levels uh, where you can do independent practice. So that's broadened the number of people that can provide services. And some people think that's a good thing, some people think it's not. Um, I generally think it's a a good thing because I think 58% 
of our rural markets today have no psychiatrist available and something like 50 or roughly have no mental health professional available at all, none. So there's just nobody available to help people in in the outlying areas. So I think the more people you can get into the profession, uh, so long as there's a degree of competency, is better. But, you know, I think it's always been prevalent. I just think people didn't talk about it very much. It's just something they swallowed or they took to church or, yeah, yeah. When you see, uh, you know, these all these folks that are on medication today, I mean, how many of these people do you think legitimately should be on medication? I mean, I mean, is it something you can assess? You know, I I can't answer that in terms. I mean, I'm sure there's research of people, how many people are on medication, but in my personal experience. Most of the people that I see on medications, in my opinion, don't need most of the medications they're on. Now, and that's just anecdotal. That's my opinion. You asked me to hand you a research survey or study to support that. <coughs> I can't hand it to you or I can't point you to one. I can just tell you, after 45 years in this experience, I see people that are on medication. They've usually seen um, someone for six or eight minutes and said, you know, I'm really feeling kind of down or blue. Yep. Here's some Prozac. Here's this. Here's that. They give it to them and they don't even really ask why. And they just give it to them because medicine has become a high volume business. Um, And that's not necessarily the doctor's fault. I mean, the way that it's now funded and Medicare and Medicaid, you got to turn them and burn them. Yeah. Or you can't stay in business. And so it's a high-volume business. And so they throw pills at them because they don't have an hour to sit down or don't take an hour to sit down and talk about it and say, well, let's find out what's going on. Is there a reason? Like right. I said, if this guy's got five parts of his life that have gone down or a woman has got you know three or four areas of her life that have really gone down in, in quality, then they should be having poor mood. So why mask that? Let's come up with an action plan and change it. So most of the people I see on medication, not all, but most of the people I see are on too many medications in too high a dose or either don't need it at all. So that was Dr. Phil on our recent Joe Rogan podcast, and he was on the podcast promoting that he's going to now enter the podcast world. So I'm looking forward to hearing Dr. Phil's podcast, and maybe he'll be, um, maybe I'll be regularly clipping some of his wisdom because he's been around. He's he's talked to thousands of people, and like I said earlier, you know, I used to really like just listen to him for ten or twenty seconds, and I would say he he doesn't. He's not realizing how complicated these people's problems are, and I'm really surprised at how much I'm so much on the same page as Dr. Phil, someone who I used to think was a complete douche. So, um, yeah, I wanted to um, move move it along. I I think I want to end the show a little bit earlier so I can go to an exercise class, but I, I have a few more things that I wanted to share. And um, I think I'm going to go on to um, – I'm doing this project where I brought – I 
bought some land and now I'm in the planning phase and and I have to keep um uh, a lot of things um moving and um I'm working with like a project board and a vision board and a daily agenda of things I want to get done. So I, I listened to this productivity podcast. I think I played their clips before. It's the Back to Work podcast, and you can um, just support them directly. So I want to make sure I give everyone who whose clips I play on this show proper publicity and credit. And um, yeah, if you if you like what you hear. Uh, you can go ahead and you know just listen to the podcast yourself. Uh, I think this came from the latest one from the last week, and I think there's this um, this thing going on in the zeitgeist where people know they have too much stuff, and their too much stuff is getting in the way with their with their world. And I I love this uh, host on this podcast. I think his name is Merlin Mann. And he, he often talks about this um, technique that he employs, that he lives in a very expensive part of the Bay Area where um, he'll call um, a group of people who have a truck to be able to get rid of things that he wants to get rid of, but they charge an, an enormous amount of money. So he, he tries to get as much stuff into their truck as possible to keep his hoarding down at a, and they and they just cart it off and they, they either sell it, recycle it, or um, you know landfill the stuff. But he th- he he thinks that it's a great motivator that you know I don't know what he pays these people like a hundred or two hundred dollars and he'll call them up in the morning and he'll say please come at three p.m. So he'll he'll get everything out on the sidewalk <laughs> by three p.m. and um, that'll be his day of like um, releasing you know old things in his life. But he's he's forming he's really influenced by these two authors. Oh, darn, I can't remember it. Oh, one one's name is um. Well, he wrote the thing like 20 years ago, getting things done. And then there's a declutter expert named um, Peter Walsh, whose book is um, it's all too much. So he's constantly using these two people to form his own sort of system of um keeping the stuff in his life moving and not not getting stagnant and not getting blocked by stuff. So it is funny though that we're such a wealthy, you know, culture that we're we're haunted by too much stuff. And so I want to play this clip and this is his method of um you know, when you have a day off from work and you're you're at home or if you're sick or you just don't have really anything on the agenda, and you're walking around your house just tying up loose loose ends. Most people call it puttering, but he's taking it to a new level of, um, you know, called power puttering. <laughs> so I think that's the description of his podcast this week, though. Um, Roland explains power puttering. <laughs> so I wanted to um, play a 10-minute clip of Roland Mann explaining the concept of power puttering. Um. So, listener Joseph is asking about something that I that I have dubbed power puttering, um, and it's I've, I've struggled to kind of write down what it is that I think this thing is. But uh, what do we mean by puttering? When you say you're puttering around the house, right? When you're puttering around the house, I think of like almost like a, like a middle aged man or an older man, like in his scuffs, sort of like me, 
kind of just wandering around doing stuff without too much purposefulness. When you're puttering around the house, like maybe you got a day off, you know, maybe you're, uh, maybe you're sick that day and you're kind of wandering around the house, not doing anything in particular. Power puttering is this name that I have given to a very mindful and directed version of puttering that combines some of the best elements of, I'll drop some names, David Allen, Marie Kondo, Peter Walsh. It's kind of a best of way to do a bunch of little crap around the house, but with a purpose. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So, you know, what are some examples of this? I mean, for me, I have, uh, I feel so arrogant to call these days off. I have days where I don't have to do podcasts. And those are days, it used to be a Thursday, now it's mostly a Friday. It's a day where I do have lots of uh, runway to do all the things that I have to do at the house. And there's a lot of things I have to do at the house. A lot of what uh, unreconcilable differences we have called invisible work. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of infrastructure stuff that just needs to get done that nobody even knows gets done. And if I'm doing that well, the house is functioning and we're taking care of stuff. Now, I just want to be clear here. I'm talking about here. I'm talking about power puttering in the context of your home and taking care of stuff and chores, if you like. I want to be clear, though, the, the notion of power puttering could apply to many different kinds of things where what begins perhaps as a somewhat mindless wander through something gets a lot of direction um, and velocity and purposefulness. And I'm going to tell you why. Because here's what I do. I start out, so you start out with some stuff you've got to do, right? One of the things I know I've got to do that's really boring, and I'm going to just confine this to chores around the house. Forgive me if this is excruciating. I, I hope you get something out of it. There's chores I've got to do around the house. So one of the chores I do around the house before I do anything is figure out what needs to be done, right? So a lot of it might be wandering around and going really boring stuff. Like, you know, um, do we need a new soap? This is so boring, but it's important. Do we need a new soap in the shower? How are we doing on toothpaste? Pick up and shake the half and half. How much half and half do we have? Do I need to bring up paper towels from the garage? Do I need to change the cap box? Don't think about me. Think about you. When you deal with stuff around the house, is it not fair to say, listener, that there's just stuff that you've got to do, and sometimes you don't even know what all it is, but you jump in and you get started. So a big part of the power puttering is, just the puttering and um, chores part of that is, I start figuring out what kind of needs to be done. And I might, you know, I might make a list. I'll get to that in a minute. I have various affordances for helping with this. But I just kind of start jumping in and I start wandering around the house doing stuff. Now, what happens when you're wandering around the house? Well, when you're wandering around the house, you start potentially noticing stuff you don't usually notice. Like in this case, like I know right now, uh, in the next couple of days, I need to replace the toothpaste in the bathroom. I know this is not life-changing, but it will be. I notice that. I also do notice that the soap is getting a little bit low in there. Well, if I notice the soap is low, I may start noticing that we need to get soap at the store, right? These, what happens is as you wander around, but other patterns emerge too. When I say, okay, I know I need to change the cat box. The cat box involves taking 30 pounds of cat litter in a box down the steps and down to the garage. I got to put it in the trash. I got to put in the new litter. I got to bring it up, right? It's, it's kind of a trial, but that's what it means to be a cat companion. But in all of those things, so you're doing your stuff and you're getting it done. But at the very most basic level, if you allow yourself, you will start noticing things. Other things that need to be done. Sometimes small things that you can do now. Sometimes medium-sized or larger things you need to do later. Start noticing that. And as you start to notice that, begin to notice patterns. I'll give you a great pattern. Anybody here, show of hands, anybody here got more than one Amazon box in their house right now? 
And is there a chance that that is an Amazon box that you do not want to have in your house any longer? <laughs> right. Probably not you, but somebody out there not only has Amazon boxes, but somewhere, if we're honest, maybe it's in the, you know, the gift wrapping room, you got Amazon boxes. And then once you start noticing Amazon boxes, you start noticing boxes. Once you start noticing boxes, you start noticing cardboard if you're like me. And then you suddenly go, oh, my God, my entire house is full of cardboard. How have I lived like this? Well, guess what, buddy? You just discovered a pattern. And that pattern is here's a bunch of stuff that needs to get done. Do you do it right then? Maybe, maybe not. But you do notice it and you want to capture it if it's not something you're going to do right now. Because now you've, you've done something you didn't before. You're reconnecting with your physical environment in a way you usually don't. If you're like me and you're a hoarder, you mostly make paths and push stuff, push stuff into the corners. If you start engaging with your environment by moving around and power puttering, you will start to notice things. The things start to accumulate and then you start to notice patterns. Now, guess what? Let's go a little bit further. Is there any piece of electronics that you can see with your face eyes? that you know is not a thing that you use anymore. It is broken, it is obviated, it is stupid. Is it, why is it in your house? Well, if you have one of those, you might have more than one of those. Do you notice that when you're just getting ready for work? You might, but you have every reason in the world to forget about it. If you're power puttering, you're incentivized to notice it because now you're looking for patterns. And so guess what happens pretty soon? So now you got a bunch of cardboard, you got a bunch of, uh, of old devices, you got a bunch of clothes that don't fit anymore, and guess what? All of a sudden, you got a big pattern, which is, boy, I got a lot of stuff in my house I need to get rid of. How do I scale up to that? You're going to need to do, do some donations. You might need to call the guy with the truck. These are just little examples, but the pattern that I'm trying to relay here is that the, the, the kind of the nature of power puttering is you're getting done the stuff you need to get done right now, but you're also noticing what needs to get done and you're finding patterns that, about what you need to do. And then often as not, you can gang some of those tasks together. And again, using something that like could be a list with a pen that you keep with you, I think this is a very good use of a voice-activated device. Just start adding stuff to a list. If you say to your Echo, your Amazon device, mm -hmm. you could say something like, add Colgate toothpaste to my cart, right? Something like that. Or you could just say, make a note of XYZ, right? Using, using Siri. There's all kinds of ways to do this. This seems like the dumbest thing in the world. And you know what it kind of is, but I find something oddly, I don't know how to describe it. Um, it's, it's oddly energizing. It's uh, enervating, it's uh, to, to like re-engage with your stuff, to find patterns and do stuff with it. And that's the nature of power puttering. The power part in the power puttering is you are accomplishing stuff. You're also re-engaging with your physical environment in a way that allows you to improve it and to think about how it could be better and to notice stuff that you need to do before it's something that's already, that should have been done. You don't want to run out of toilet paper. You don't want to run out of toothpaste. And, you know, nobody tells me when the milk is low down. Nobody tells me. I found out the milk is low when somebody says there's no milk. So that's on me. That's some of the basic stuff. That's some of the basic stuff of power puttering. It's in a lot of ways, it's in kind of an IRL version of a GTD weekly review, but in some ways it's just with dealing with the stuff in your world. And now, like I say, I think this can go for lots of stuff. Do you have a list right now somewhere on your computer of every bug or annoyance that you run into on your computer that you think can be fixed? Because if you don't, you need one. So I have a running text file called bugs run X. And that is where I go. And anytime I discover something that is bugging me or I think is a legit bug or something I just want to fix that goes on the list. 
<laughs> including my text files getting seemingly randomly deleted. I had a problem with the Eero <laughs> Wi-Fi in the master bedroom, and I fixed that. Why are my phishing emails slipping through Gmail? <laughs> Other stuff like that. Right. That's a form of power pottering. Because even if you're not doing it right now, you're capturing it into the place that you need to do it through, I believe, I think it was David Allen coined the phrase ubiquitous capture. But you're reengaging with your stuff, and you can basically just follow your nose. And, you know, um, so anyway, that's, that's my opening salvo, is that I think this is a valuable thing. That's what power puttering is for. The specific question, I suppose, that listener Joseph asked is that if the idea has grown, the idea has grown only in the sense that I'm fully aware that it's a thing that I notice I'm doing and that I try to actually make a point of doing. Because like anything, any creative endeavor or any kind of like for that you know, like any house endeavor, you kind of got to say to yourself, like, here's a thing I need to do. So you can be motivated by accomplishing a bunch of stuff that you need to do in your context. Doesn't have to be chores. In your context, there's a bunch of stuff you need to do. But while you're doing all the stuff you need to do, also be open to what else is going on and noticing all of those things and making a plan for how you can improve your life by dealing with those different kinds of things. I say it's like a GTD review because a good GTD review should shock you. If you're doing a good GTD review, there should be at least one moment where you go, oh, I forgot about that. Or, oh, that never occurred to me. Mm. And that could be stuff like spring break is coming in three weeks. It could be the summer vacation is coming this summer. It could be that somehow and probably sixth grade starts in August. And these are all kinds of things where like, I'll bet you there's something you need to do about it. And now that you're in motion and you're doing your stuff Start noticing those patterns. Start noticing the things that need to get done. And by the time you're finished, I, I, one thing I do, I write the stuff down and tick it off a lot of the times, even if it's really stupid. And I feel great. I feel totally like, like I've gotten some stuff accomplished. Power puttering. Highly recommended. Okay, so that was Merlin Mann introducing his uh, concept of power puttering. And that was from the Back to Work podcast. And in case you were wondering, the GTD review is one of the authors, Peter Allen, Getting Things Done. And I think it's a, a daily review or a weekly review that um, people, highly productive people, uh, they take minutes and they review. They start out with an agenda and they follow up with a review of what did get done. So uh, get, getting these lists and vision boards and project boards all together in my own life, I'm, I'm learning, you know. I have one of those voice devices, and it, it is really helpful when I'm uh, puttering around the house. I go, oh, so-and-so, put that on my shopping list. And my shopping list is done usually by voice nowadays. So who knows, maybe I'll um, be incorporating the voice device into um, putting other things on my list. I deactivated my phone from doing voice commands because sometimes it'll just interrupt me. But sometimes when I'm in the car, I have to pull over to be able to write down ideas that come to my mind that I want to put on my list. And the, the voice devices could be very helpful. Now, this is where I want to um, start closing down the show. And I wanted to bring it back to that playground swing that sometimes swings too far and we're pumping it too much. And one of the main things that I was pumping my swing too much with was screen time and all these different machines that are always on and always flashing in front of my eyes. And being able to turn off these screens is um, something that I'm developing a discipline to do.
And even my car now has a screen on my dashboard. And I think it only takes one button to turn the screen on, but it takes, I think, three taps of buttons to be able to turn the dashboard screen off. So it almost seems like these device manufacturers want these screens in front of your face all the time and they want you to like form this like, oh, I can't, I can't feel normal unless there's a screen on. And so I'm finding a lot of, uh, I don't know if you'd call it balance, but more of uh, a variety in my life that, yeah, when I'm done using the laptop, turn it off. When I'm done using the television, turn it off. It's funny, though, that these now these voice devices are these devices that are always on. So um, for the last clip, I wanted to play uh, Adam Curry. He used to be an MTV VJ, and he has a podcast. And he was talking about his unplugging and going off the grid and getting rid of a smartphone, just using a basic um, flip phone and not be always – on, you know, always plugged in and always have all these devices. And he's an early internet entrepreneur. He's been on the internet for 30 years. And um, so, you know, I think it's in the past year, he's really been training himself to, um, you know, do, do more with less machines, but use these machines wise and uh, let them enrich your life. And so, um, I'm really, you know, my personal experience is, um, you know, I joined Facebook, I think, in 2008. And the past few years, I was, like, taking three months at a time where I would not even look at it. And recently, I've been just, like, checking in maybe once or twice a month with it. I'll post um, my um, things um, related to this show. Uh, sort of the outline to the show. So I do still have an active Facebook account, but I am not looking at it on a daily basis anymore. I have the messaging app, so if people wanted to get a hold of me, I guess I would be able to see their messages. But um, um, so I'm going to um, – oh, darn, I just, I just opened up my Facebook. But my Facebook account, if you want to follow me just publicly, it's S-E-A-N – so it's facebook.com backslash backslash S-E-A-N period M-U-R-N-I-N. That's my name. I also have Instagram. And, um, yeah, I find Instagram enjoyable. I look at it maybe five or ten minutes a day when I'm waiting in line or something. I'll open up the Instagram and take a glance at it. Or if I'm at the waterfall last week, I, po I posted some waterfall pictures. So my Instagram account is um, – Big Island Botanica. So you can find me there. And but, so the, I'm going to get back to the Adam Curry clip and how he's developing into like just a completely off the grid person. And just, you know, he's he hosts a, a twice weekly podcast. So he has to use these um, machines to uh, aggregate the information that he's sharing and produce the podcast. But then once the podcast is over, he turns it off and lets the inspiration, it gives room in his life to have more inspiration. So the unplugging from devices really does tie into, um, oh, you, are you tired of swinging so high? Why don't you stop pumping the swing so much? And um, so I'm going to play this clip from Adam Curry. I think it's a few minutes long. 
I don't think it's very long at all. No, it's uh, two and a half minutes, and then we'll um, we'll, we'll shut down the show, and I, I got some good music to play as a closer. I'll give you my final uh, OTG strategy so people understand what it is to go off the grid. I have two devices in my life on a, on a continuing basis. One is the Nokia. Wait, let me guess. One is that little phone. Yes, the Nokia E71. And the other one's a vibrator. Yeah, you're, you are on the ball. So I have three devices in my life. <laughs> no, I have the Nokia E71, which I use only for text messaging. And I used to be, oh, I can do a quick email because you can get IMAP email on it. No, I can even open a Word doc. I don't do any of that anymore. I don't care. For me, there is no reason whatsoever to be connected anymore. I don't care. Once I, once I stop caring about it, like, yeah, I'll be back in an hour. I'll be a, You're talking to the converted. I know, but there's more people out there who want to know how it works. And it, it took a little while because I had to reverse a lot of behaviors. And this thinking that, oh, it's so important to know what's going on. It's so important. I mean, anywhere you stop, anywhere people are not mobile for a second, boom, the phones are out. And you just see it. And it's rampant. And it's sick. And you're not well. It is sick. It's sick. It really, and, and everyone's doing it, so you don't really notice it until you stop doing it. And the way to do it is through pain. The pain is you can't do it. You just can't get anything done. Even to t- at a certain point, Tina's texting me. I'm texting back. I can't keep up. I got the physical keyboard. I call her. <laughs> hey, how about that? Let's talk for a second. And it's and it's very nice. So as a part of your OTG strategy, you do need something else. And for that, I have the Surface Go, a very inexpensive, very small device. It's the size of my original iPad. I have a nice little, a beautiful little case that it goes into. And I have a hotspot. Uh, I think you can get the Surface Go with um, now with LTE. Don't get that. What you want is you want to be disconnected. If I really, really, really need to get something, the pain of turning on the dongle, the hotspot, firing up the the little computer, and then doing whatever I need to do, that becomes a choice of like, do I really need to do this? Can I do this later? Is it of utmost importance? When it's really easy to do, you will do it. You have to pain yourself. And how long have I been doing this? Six months? Would you longer. say? Longer. Oh, longer, really. Okay, so that's Adam Curry's uh, strategy for being off the grid. He uses a small little flip phone. And then when he does have to uh, get online to check some email or do something, he makes it um, a whole process where he's more conscious of what he's doing. He has to plug the whole thing in to to be able to get back online. And so that's another interesting strategy to use to employ that um, even if you're texting too much, go back to a flip phone and make texting very difficult for yourself. And perhaps uh, you'll reduce the amount of text that you send or read every day and actually engage with other people instead of uh, waiting in line and pulling out and staring at Instagram for 10 minutes. Because that 10 minutes, perhaps you'll be able to wait in line with another person and, and say hi to them and engage with them more. I've been noticing that people are looking at their phones a lot less. So this is a, this is a zeitgeist that people are withdrawing from always being on. And um, I feel very optimistic that, uh, you know, that we're all going to find um, the, the sweet spot where 
These things do enrich our lives and are valuable tools, but yet they don't encroach on our creativity, our relationships. So that's what I'm all wishing my, from, for myself and for the audience who's listening. So I'm going to close down the show. I had a great time. I picked out a really cool song from the early 90s, and it's uh, an excerpt from Blind Melon from their first album, and the song is called I Wonder. So have a good time. I'll be back the first Thursday of April.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.